Turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, verse 13. It says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Let's actually, I'm going to pray and then we'll get it right into our study. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time that we can open your word and learn from you, Lord. I pray that through this, that your people are edified, that your name is glorified, that we see you high and lifted up, and we be brought low. We thank you for revealing your word to us, giving us eyes to see and ears to hear, and giving us understanding, Lord. We just ask this prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen. So to back up and do our normal review, um... Obviously, Paul here writing to the Roman Christians there, he says he's going to declare the gospel to them. We've already saw all this. We, we slowly walked verse by verse through all of this. And he, he, before he starts with the good news, he brings out the bad news there from Romans 1 to Romans 3. Then he declares the gospel, and then we start to see some application of it um, through 6, 7, and 8. And then remember when Paul ended chapter 8, he said, nothing shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And the, the natural question is what we're dealing with right here, chapters 9, 10, 11. Answer the question, what about the Jew? Because it seemed as though the Jews were being separated from the love of God. But Paul said that nothing shall separate us from the love of God. And he, he proves that the, the Jews then were covenant breakers. It wasn't God that broke the covenant. It was the, those people that broke the covenant. They, they forsook Yahweh and went after strange gods. And he used Gomer as an example. Remember that Gomer uh, as Israel and Hosea as God. Hosea was faithful and Gomer was unfaithful. And that's the picture that Paul gives us. Um, and then, but, but then he comes into chapter 10 and he says that it's still his, 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 he still has a zeal and a heart desire and prayer that the Jews be saved. And we know that some were, right? Because Paul was, and John was, and Peter was. So there were still Jews being saved. And Paul's answering this question now, um, which I believe he's answered quite well. And now in our, in our direct context here, he starts dealing with preaching and our responsi responsibility as believers. And not only that, that he... He pretty much takes it for granted that they were preaching. And we'll see some of that today. Um, I have three points like always. The first point is calling upon Him. The second point is believing upon Him. And the third point is preaching Him. So our first point here, calling upon Him. Now once again, I have to do this often when we come to these famous verses, if you will. That to remind you that these verses, even though they're some of pe some people's favorite verses and they quote it often, we can't divorce it from the context. 
And I don't believe the context, you know, sometimes people quote verses and you hear them quoted all the time. And it's like, that's not even really what the verse means. You're just quoting it out of context. I don't believe the context changes the meaning of these verses, but I do believe it enhances the meaning of these verses. Remember, Paul has been speaking about preaching. He says um, in verse 8, the word of faith, which we preach. Remember, he said it was already in your heart and already in your mouth. They are already preaching it. He then says that those who believe will not be ashamed. And I'm not sure if you remember this from last week, but I brought out the fact that this goes exactly or directly with Paul's thesis statement in Romans 1.16. He says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And he says, for those that believe will not be ashamed. And both times he's tying it to preaching. He says, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you who are at Rome also, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. And right here in this context, he's dealing with preaching again. He's not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, and as believers, we will not be ashamed. And now we come here to verse 13, and we can't separate it from the group that he's already been speaking about. Just two verses earlier, he said, whosoever believes, or whoever believes. Now he says, whoever shall call. It's the same group of people. Whoever believes will call upon him. He says it in verse 14. How then shall they call upon him on whom they have not believed? So you have to believe in order to call upon him. It's the same group. Now remember I mentioned this, and I'm not going to go back over it today. But whoever or whosoever is not an indiscriminate call, but it's really the word for everyone. So verse 11 would be everyone who is believing on him. So the believing ones shall call upon the name of the Lord. So let's dig a little bit deeper in this though. Paul here is quoting again an Old Covenant passage. So let's turn there. Turn to Joel chapter 2. Joel 2.28. Joel says, And it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour pour out my spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whoever, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance as the Lord has said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. Y'all know that portion right there? Peter quotes that in Acts chapter 2. Remember the day of Pentecost. Peter quotes that particular thing right there and he says, what is happening right now is that. So it's being fulfilled. It, was hap- it happened. It was fulfilled. It was being fulfilled there in Acts chapter 2 at the day of Pentecost. Now that's a study for another time, but I just want to notice the context. This is speaking about the outpouring of the Spirit that happened at Pentecost. Then the text that Paul quotes, which is verse 32 of that, but notice what comes after the portion that Paul quotes, and I think it's important. First he says, For in Mount Zion 
and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance. First, I do not believe this to be the physical Zion or Jerusalem, but I believe this to be the church. As the writer of Hebrews actually applies it in Hebrews 12, in verse 22, he says, But you, talking about believers, but you are come unto Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. But notice what else it says. In the remnant whom the Lord shall call. Who shall call upon the Lord? In the remnant whom the Lord shall call. So the ones that call upon Him, the ones that shall be delivered or saved, are the very same ones whom the Lord shall call. We must not put the cart before the horse. And we're dealing with this on Wednesday nights now, right? The order of salvation. God must be the first one to act. Dead men don't call upon the Lord. They must be alive first. And God must be the one to make them alive since He's the life giver. Dead men can't make themselves alive. Uh, Lazarus could have never came out of the grave unless the Lord says, come forth, Lazarus, and then he came forth. He would have stayed dead. And that's just like us spiritually. Born spiritually dead. Unless the Lord calls you. God must be the one to make them alive. So it's God calls them and then they call upon Him. Not vice versa. It's not, I called upon the Lord, therefore the Lord called upon me. No, God called upon you, therefore you called upon Him. We can actually see this in Acts chapter 2 as well. In Acts 2, 39, He says, For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Now, I know people love to quote that verse. They love to quote the first part of that verse and then stop, but we must include all of it. It's as many as the Lord our God shall call. It's about Him. It's about His calling. If He calls you, you will be saved and call upon Him. It's not your calling upon Him that saves you. But it is a fact that if you truly call upon Him, you will be saved. Because you can only truly call upon Him if He's called you. Remember our context here a few verses earlier. It showed us that confessing Him was agreeing with Him. It was covenanting with God. It wasn't just a verbal confession, just like mouthing the words, Jesus is Lord doesn't save you. It's the fact that you agree with God on who the Lord Jesus Christ is, and you come into covenant with Him. I believe this is talking about the same thing. You, you are agreeing, covenanting with God and calling upon Him. Why? Because He's called you out of darkness and into the light, the marvelous light. He's called you out of darkness into the kingdom of His dear Son. So He has called you, and in turn, you call upon Him and are saved. Not because of the calling upon Him, but it demonstrates that you believe. So let's go to the next point. Believing upon Him. Something happens before you call upon Him. That's what it says in our text. How shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? So they must believe before they call upon Him. And what does believing mean? It means you're justified. You believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, you're justified. We're justified by faith alone. Paul has clearly already taught us this multiple times. Remember uh, Romans 5, well, Romans 4, 5, but to him that worketh not, but 
but believeth on him that justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Remember Romans 5.1 where he says, Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And in our same chapter right here in verse 4, it says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. We are justified by faith alone. And when we are justified, we call upon Him. Now, let's dig a little bit more into this. I know this is a little bit elementary, but I think we should look at it because it's in the text. What does it mean to believe? Or what are we believing? There are some that argue that belief isn't enough. There are some that twist a verse in James and say that believing the gospel isn't enough. They say the devils also believe it, but actually the text doesn't say that. The text does not say the devils also believe the gospel. It says that they believe in one God. They're monotheists. And guess what? Hell is full of monotheists. Just because you believe there's one God does not mean you're going to heaven. Let me tell you this too. There's not one person in hell today that believed the gospel. So what is it that we believe before we call upon Him? And you all heard me say this probably every Sunday, hopefully, and every Wednesday and every time we talk, hopefully. It's the person and the work of Christ. That's what we believe. It's in the person of Christ as the second person of the Trinity. That He is God. That He is Savior. That He is the Messiah, the Christ. And that, but not only that, but that He was also man. Born of a virgin, He was 100% God and 100% man. And we must believe this. And remember this, that we aren't just believing facts about something. We are believing in Him. We are believing in Him, trusting in Him as our Savior. We are trusting in that person to save our souls. And it's also trusting in the perfect work of His righteousness or perfect work of redemption. It's trusting in the fact that He came down from heaven. He condescended from heaven, kept the law, every jot and tittle of the law, which means every single little brushstroke, He kept all of it as the God-man. He fulfilled it perfectly. He then went to a cross after being rejected by His people, Israel, and died as though He broke every single law under the weight of the wrath of His Father. He kept the whole law, every jot and tittle. Then He was crushed on the cross as though He broke every single law there was. The Father poured out His wrath upon Him that was due to His elect. He crushed Him in our place as a vile sinner. This is actually Him being that propitiation. Remember, the, the mercy seat. He is the mercy seat. He is the propitiation. He's the one that takes away the wrath of God. Yet He didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave three days later. Was seen of over 500 people. He really defeated death, so those that believe in Him shall never die. This is what Jesus said after He rose Lazarus from the grave, right? He said, if you believe in Me, you will never die. You're like, how can you say that, Jesus? We see everybody dies. But not for the Christian. We go from this life to that life. It's not death. It's a door we must walk through 
He's really defeated death and He ascended to the right hand of the Father where He sat down victorious and intercedes for His people until the final consummation when He comes back. That's the message. That's the message that we believe. It's not some fairy tale. It's not just some cool mythical story. It's an absolute fact. And we know so much. Those 500 people that saw Him, guess where they... They didn't die of old age. They were killed too. If they didn't really see Him risen from the grave and with the, with the holes in His hands... Remember Thomas? Won't see, unless He touches it. And He touched it. And what did Thomas say? My Lord and my God to Jesus. And then they went to martyrs' deaths. That's the message that we believe. That's the message the apostles believe. That's the message that those in the first, sec- first century, second, third, fourth, all the way up to right now believed. The message has, has not changed. And it will not. I know some say, Jeremy, you preach the same message every Sunday. Good. You're going to come here and you're going to hear the gospel. You know why? I'm not going to change it. And if someone does change it, the Apostle Paul has some good words for them, didn't he? Let them be anathema. Let them be a curse. Let them be cast into hell. Anybody would change the gospel. So that's the message that we believe. We believe we trust in the person and work of Christ to save our souls and nothing else. Not my works before justification and not my works after justification. There's no such thing as final justification. I know some like to teach that, but it's not true. If you believe upon Him now, you are saved apart from your works. And when you believe, you'll call upon Him. But you cannot call upon Him in whom you haven't believed. And how shall you believe unless you have heard? So that takes us to the third point. Preaching Him. So this comes down to how can they call or how can they believe if they haven't heard and how can they hear without a preacher? Now Paul is asking the questions here, but Paul already knows the answer to the questions. It wasn't questions that he was looking for the answer for. He knew the answer to the questions. Now remember, Paul has already stated that these people were already preaching. The Romans here, he already said that they were preaching. So it's not like he's condemning them here. He's not saying, y'all need to go out and preach the gospel. He's saying, you're already doing it. He's not condemning them. And remember from Romans, actually, go, I'm not, we're not going to go there, but Romans chapter 1, we saw three years ago. He said that he thanked God that their faith was spoken of throughout the whole world. Their faith was being spoken of throughout the whole world. How was that happening? It was happening because they were preaching the gospel. They were active. They were preaching. And I believe what Paul's doing here is actually encouraging them, not condemning them. He's saying, you're already preaching, so keep preaching because God will save His people. And what they are preaching is the same message that Paul was preaching, the gospel of Jesus Christ. That for which he was not ashamed, and he states to them that they are not ashamed because they are believing and already preaching it as well. They weren't preaching the newest fad. They weren't preaching their pet doctrine. They were preaching Christ crucified. 
And through that preaching, people hear, they believe, and they call upon the, the Lord. So this came up yesterday, but it's in my notes, and I said it was in my notes. It's not like the quote from some that say, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. That's a lie from the pit of hell. There's only one way to preach the gospel, and it's with your words. What this is implying, what this is implying is that your life is the gospel. Which is another lie. That's a false gospel. You can't live, you, I know, you might even say it, live the gospel. You can't live the gospel. Jesus, the person and work of Jesus Christ is the gospel, not your life. Unless you lived a perfectly sinless life and died in place of God's elect. You cannot live the gospel. Nothing about you is involved in it. Paul is not saying also that just be nice to people and they'll believe the gospel. Just do good and they'll believe. He's saying explicitly and emphatically preach the gospel with your mouth. He uses the word keruso here, which means to herald the gospel, to publish, or to proclaim openly the gospel. That's what the world needs more of. Not just nice people, though we should be nice too. Nobody gets saved from you being nice. Your life doesn't bring anyone to Christ. The gospel is it. His, notice he says, how shall they hear? How shall they hear? What, what are they hearing? By your life. Nothing. Not what shall you, they see. How shall they hear? They must hear it, the gospel message. And then he goes on later in verse 17. It says, faith comes by hearing. But notice what else about the preacher here. How shall they preach except they be sent? You say, well, I haven't been sent. I say, you need to read a little bit more. Matthew 28 says, we all been sent. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to a select few. To those that I look out and I see, that, that person is probably elect, I'll go talk to them. No, every creature. You've already been sent. And the Romans knew this and they were already going. That's how the whole world knew about their faith. Not because they are hiding in closets to practice it, but because they are out and about in their daily lives preaching the gospel, which is what all Christians do. Now, we don't do it perfectly, right? But we most certainly do it. We may miss opportunities sometimes, but you can't tell me that someone is a Christian and never spoken to anybody about Christ. I, I refuse to believe that. We have been sent. And we are preaching the gospel so God's elect may hear and believe. Jesus said in John 10, He said, My sheep hear My voice and I know them and they follow Me. And one last thing here from our text. Notice it says, it might not say it in your Bible, it says it in mine. How beautiful the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. The gospel of peace. Paul calls it the gospel of peace. Now, without getting into why it's in certain Bibles and not others, I'm going to deal with it because it's here. And even if it's 
doesn't say it in your Bible, it is true that that's what we're preaching is a gospel of peace. The peace is peace with God. Remember I already quoted it from Paul says from Romans 5.1 Therefore being justified by faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the opposite of what we've earned. We earn the wrath of God and we are enemies in our minds by wicked works so we had no peace with God and this is what the world lies in. They don't have peace with God. This is why when a virus shows up, everybody panics because they're all afraid to die. Because they know when we die, we go to judgment. They know this. And they have no peace. That's what we are preaching. You can have peace with God by trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ who took the wrath of God in place of sinners. That's what the Gospel brings. It brings salvation, of course, but it also brings comfort and peace of mind because I have peace with God. Because I can say that God is perfectly pleased with me. Sounds almost blasphemous, doesn't it? From a sinner like me, God can look at me and be perfectly pleased with me. That even when I sin, those sins don't make Him angry with me. And they cannot separate me from Him. I have a perfect peace with God because of the Lord Jesus Christ and His work in my place. And what a blessing that is. And how could we not want to tell others about that? So to wrap up, to conclude this doctrinal portion, we'll look at it kind of backwards from our text. You have been sent by the Lord with the gospel of peace. And you have beautiful feet who take out that message so that some will hear and believe and call upon Him and be saved. That's what we're here for, brethren. We are here to advance God's kingdom in this world. He's using you already, so don't be discouraged and keep going for the Gospel's sake. As Paul said, do not be weary in well-doing. Let's go into our application here. first point of our call to faith and repentance is as always I come to the unbelievers doorstep the person in here that does not know the Lord Jesus Christ you have heard how shall they believe if they haven't heard you have heard someone was sent to you with the gospel of peace this morning it has been preached to you and faith comes by hearing you have you have no excuse on Judgment Day if you reject that message. Because everybody in here has heard that message this morning, unless you're asleep. And I hope none of, nobody was asleep. And it's not my message. That's not my message. It's, it's, a message. it's the Gospel message. The same message that all believers throughout history have believed and preached. It's not mine. I don't claim it. Jesus Christ is truly the only way to heaven, and it's because He is the only atonement for sins. He has already atoned for sin, for the sins of His people and risen for their justification. So your call this morning is to repent of your sins and believe upon Him. God commands all men everywhere to repent. And this message is true. And it gives you peace with God. Don't leave here today without peace with God. Believe 
upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And we come to the believers here. We already have peace with God as believers. But let me ask you this. Do you live like that? I mean, do you recognize on a daily basis that you actually have peace with God? That, that you that believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ have had all your sins propitiated for? That He took every last drop of wrath for every last sin that you'll ever commit? That you need not worry that God is waiting to punish you? We, we, I know we feel like this sometimes, don't we? I know because I hear people say, you know, sometimes the Lord has to break, break His sheep's legs to take them home. He's not waiting to punish you, believer. Your sins are gone. All of them. That because of Christ, the Father looks at you and loves you just as, it says in John 17, you can look it up yourself, He loves you just as He loves His Son. That should blow our minds. That He could look upon you and He could say, this is my beloved son or daughter in whom I am well pleased. Why? Because I'm in Christ. But you're like, but my sin, right? <laughs> but He took it. He placed it on His Son and He crushed Him for it. Do you think He's still going to bring it up to you? You think he crushed his son, took your sins, placed them on his son, and crushed his son in your place, and now he's going to bring them back up to you? No, they're gone. If he brings them back up to you, then Christ died in vain. He died to take away sins. Remember John the Baptist, when Jesus shows up on the scene, what does he say? Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. He took it away. In contrast to the lambs of old, where the writer of Hebrews tells us that it can never take away sin. You can slaughter a million lambs and it will never take away your sins. Why? Because it wasn't an eternal lamb. God sent the eternal lamb, His Son, that actually took away sins. Christ has taken our sins and given us peace with God, and we ought to regularly remind ourselves of this. This is how we live as believers. Remember, uh, it's still Romans chapter 1, verse 17. He says, The just shall live by works. No, by faith. The just shall live by faith. We come into this life eternal by faith, and we walk this life by faith. Faith in the risen Savior, not faith in my performance. I hear those that say, We are justified by faith alone, but get rid of that. There's no but after that. We are justified by faith alone. You are made right with God. You are made righteous. You are counted holy, perfectly, just before God by faith alone. End of story. And now we live by faith. So let's repent of our sins and live by faith in Christ as our Redeemer. And our last point here, which... Regular members, I know you already know where I'm going. But our call to war. You know, I've told you that our call to war, I've wanted to, to 
change it up and not bring up evangelism every single time. But the text. Our call to war. How shall they hear without a preacher? We've all been called to do this. We are called ambassadors for Christ. We are in a foreign land with a message from the king, and he sent us forth with that message. And by that message alone does he bring his elect to faith. And do we, as believers, don't we love to see people come to the faith? Isn't this such a blessing when that happens, when we see that happen? Do we not rejoice when the angels, when one sinner repents? Is this not our desire as believers? This is what we're called to do. And we're all called to do it. You say, well, I'm a stay-at-home mother. I don't, need, I don't need to go to that. Yes, you do. You have children at home probably. And if you don't, you have a husband that needs the gospel too. And you have friends, family members. I don't ever get out and talk to anybody. You talk to some people, I guarantee that. We're all called to this. We're all called to take forth the gospel. I think I can actually say this. God created you to take forth that message. That His name might be proclaimed throughout the earth. That's what He created you for. To take forth that message. He made you, and He made you to do this. He not only wrote the message, but He created the mailman or woman. Then He also surrounds you with people to give the message to. So He he wrote the message for us, He created you and gave you the message, and He brings people to you to hear the message. We don't have an excuse. And I'm not saying that we make them, but nobody in here can say, that they can't find somebody to preach the gospel to. Because they're everywhere. We also can't say, but I don't know if they are elect. That's not your department. He's called us to preach the gospel to every creature, not figure out who the elect are. And he said, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring tidings of good things. He's not only called us to preach, but he says he will reward us for doing it. So He saved us. He gave us a message. He surrounds us with people to preach the message to. And when we do, we earn eternal rewards. It says in Daniel chapter 3, or Daniel chapter 12, verse 3, And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament. And they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. What a great verse, right? Brethren, God still has elect. And He uses us to take the gospel to them. And then He gives them faith and repentance to believe upon Christ. So let's continue to march forth with this message and see God save His people for His glory and the advancement of His kingdom. Amen.